Welcome to Revelation Warning, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Robert Thibodeau as he interviews prophecy experts from around the world as we discuss current events in relation to Bible prophecy. All of this is to give the world a final Revelation Warning. Now, here is your host with this week's guest, Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Revelation Warning Podcast. We are so blessed that you're joining us here today. We have as our guest today, back on the program today, Scott Wright, or T.S. Wright is his pen name for his books, and and he's the author and presenter of the God-Centered Concepts series. And, And, you know, folks, if if you haven't been listening to our prior episodes, you need to go back and and go to the archives, type in TS Wright, and listen to those episodes because we, man, it's been a blessed time as he's been sharing information about the seven church ages, the end days, the book of Revelation. And folks, last time we talked about the end of the first church age and and then the second uh, church age, and today we're going into the third church age. Praise God. And the information that Scott has accumulated in his studies on this, I mean, there's no other way to put it other than saying it is a huge blessing and giving you wisdom and understanding on the end times. And it's going to culminate when we get to the last part, which is where we are at right now on the timeline. Amen. But in order to grasp that full understanding, you have to understand what the Lord has been doing all these other years since he went to heaven. And to get there, we first got to find out all the different ages. There's just no other thing to do except say, help me welcome to the program, Scott Wright. Scott, praise God for coming back on the program today, man. And I am so excited to hear the next step. Take it from there. Well, Bob, it's just great to be here. And thank you for having me on the show again. Um, looking forward to our discussion today. So obviously, we're going to be diving into the third age of the church, uh, Church of Pergamum. That's going to be Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. If you want to read that in your Bible, that's that would be the verses to read in chapter and verse. But I think to really understand from a historical standpoint, this age of the church, we have to dial back to the very end of the second age of the church. And I want to give a couple of quick review points that I think are important um, to help us advance into this third age. So one of the things to understand is that when we go back and look at the first age of the church, it was really about the process of removing the Jewish influence and where they were trying to stop Christianity. The second age of the church is now about removing the Roman influence, trying to stop Christianity. And in both cases, what's interesting is through these persecutions, it actually helped spread the church because people would flee and go to other areas and take the faith with them. So in a sense, it helps spread it outside both Israel and then eventually outside of Rome. So you had the Roman Empire where Christianity was spreading in pockets, but also people would flee outside of the Roman Empire and as well, they would spread Christianity. So the church is spreading like crazy during this time. And, and when we see times, not just 
in these two ages of churches. But when we see times of intense persecution of Christianity, we also see the spreading of it. Yeah. And yeah. people really grasping the faith in a much more, I would say, a solid way versus kind of that comfortable, kick your feet up, um, kind of take it for granted type of way, I guess, a little bit too comfortable. But and let's stop right there for a second because sure. when the unbelievers in these new areas are witnessing these self-professed Christians being persecuted for sharing the gospel, continuing to live their life serving the Lord, refusing to deny, refusing to stop preaching, what are they saying? There's something to this. I want what they got, you know? And so we call that revival, <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, the revival is for the church folks, but at the, and it, it is taking place then because, you know, here, you know, Sam and Sally and their three kids or whatever have fled this area and they're in this area now where nobody knows who they are and all this. And they're like, you know, is this really worth it? You know, is this, am I doing the right thing? And, you know, then they're faced with a situation and say, no, I'm not doing that because I don't do that. You know, And then they start answering, well, what do you mean you don't do that? Why don't you do this? Well, because of Jesus and they share the gospel and all of a sudden they see, wow, you know, yeah, we're bringing the gospel here. And, you know, people are coming to us now and, you know, we're, they're holding their little secret church meetings, you know, in house meeting, house church meetings. And, and, and so that shows them that the Lord's using them to reach that people group, you know? And so that sparks that revival that, that just keeps the fire spreading. And yeah, I mean, persecution brings revival. Put it like that. It definitely does. And we see that through both the first and the second ages of the church. Um, and that spread during that time um, will, will take hold in the Roman Empire itself. So what eventually will happen is, is of course, you guys can read the story of, you know, the, the battle and Constantine sees the vision and they advance forward and they fight the battle and win. And, and then we have afterwards the Edict of Milan. So. I've I've read this from some scholars that that was the start of the third age of the church. And as I as I looked at how it was all organized from start to finish and praying about it, really what the Edict of Milan is, it's it's kind of that spark that starts the transition. But the Edict of Milan actually is part of the second age of the church. It's the end of the second age of the church. And what is really the start of the third age of the church is Constantine being baptized because that is that moment when the person who has the most power on earth, other than God himself, takes Christianity and says, I am a part of this. That's when it happened. Because even after the Edict of Milan, there was still some persecution going on. There was still lots of turmoil. It just was starting to die off. And it won't be quite as intense as it was, obviously. And it's more, it's a little more subtle, some of this, because there's still a lot of feuding going on. And there's a lot of feuding going on in the church, which is also another significant characteristic of the second age of the church, 
is that they were they were in theological turmoil. They didn't they had not totally embraced what the sacred writings were going to be, which we will eventually call the New Testament. They had not totally embraced theology. There were so many schisms during these periods of time. I mean, I can't read them all off. We we could spend three days doing one podcast. Hey, we could go 72 straight hours and not cover them, cover all of what happened. Oh, That's how many there was going on. So if you want to read that, research it yourself. I've researched some of it. It finally got to the point where, I mean, and I've read some of that back when I was younger, a lot of it, but you, you, there's no way to, to keep all that in your brain. <laughs> remember, <laughs> But just know, and for our intents and purposes, is that there was a lot of this going on. And some of this still went on in the third age of the church. But what happens is when we transition and Constantine starts calling to order councils and, and they're starting to become that acceptability of Christianity and it's coming in the empire, now we start seeing some settling here. Constantine gets baptized. He dies. That is the trigger point that kicks us into the third age of the church. And from that point forward, then what happens is, is the church really starts to hone in on its theology. And it really starts to hone in on what are these sacred writings. And you'll see all these councils. And there were some councils before that, that this isn't the first time that's happened. But through these councils, through all the, really the transaction and between all of these guys and all the different writings. And I mean, it's, and it, it there's a plethora of this going on in the empire at the time they're trying to figure all this out and try to, to really almost institutionalize the church, which is eventually what they'll do. So what happens is, is we have also a group of guys that start in the second age of the church with who a lot of people would know as St. Anthony. And he becomes kind of the start of this desert fathers movement. He lives for 105 years. Athanasius will write about him. And so we'll get, there's a lot of our theology that comes from these guys to not, to not study them is really a mistake because even though they lit, that was the start of the monastic lifestyle, which, you know, living in the monasteries and seclusion and more poverty and not, uh, you know, not living for the world, but simply living for Jesus and living in style the way Jesus did. Okay. This is the start of that as well. Well, let me ask you right here. Yes. What were they studying if the, we didn't have any of the written word? Well, that's interesting. They had these writings. They were studying all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they would they would look at it. And what's funny is, is through this period of time in the 100s and the 200s and even into the early 300s, they were starting to see that the 27 writings that we'll eventually adopt as the New Testament that will be adopted in 397 and then a little bit in the early 400s, this will all come together. And Athanasius, of course, in 367 with his festal letter, they'll start settling in on those 27. But they also still put a lot of value in the other ones that weren't considered sacred writings, which what they mean by that is, is what would be read during a church session. Okay, so when they would go to a worship session, they would not read the other things. But outside of that, they would. And they still put a lot of value in them. You know, it's just like in Israel, 
the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, okay, that is considered the highest sacred writing in Jewish, in the Jewish faith. All the other writings, even what's included in the Old Testament, are not quite as sacred as those. Those are those are all kind of the surrounding things, and then the core is the Torah. That's the way to look at it from a Jewish perspective. Truly, it is. You know, we look at the Old Testament as all the same. Jews don't. The five books of the Torah, that is the key concept. That is their core. And really, the rest of the Old Testament is centered around those five books. Much of our faith is. Yep. It really is. I mean, sure. you know, and some of that and all that kind of stuff will start being established during this third age of the church. It had been discussed and there were people who had settled in on this, but it, but that philosophy was not widespread yet. There were still all these pockets doing all their different things. And eventually we get a, a little bit more of a unified system as when we get into the third age of the church. And that'll be a significant characteristic, and that will help lead to the institution of the church, which will really take hold in 538. So 537, 538, when the Byzantines take back Rome after Rome had fallen, the Roman Empire had fallen, now the Byzantines retake Rome. When they take it, that's really the start of the authority of the Holy Roman Church. And so that will help that'll kind of be that last straw that'll completely solidify it as an institution. But before this, this third age of the church is really them settling in on the, the development. So if you're thinking of it in terms of a corporation, corporations usually start with a thought and an idea. That's kind of the first stage of the church. And then there's all the scattered stuff and it's kind of crazy. That's kind of the second age of the church. And then the third age of the church is now we're going to organize our research and our ideas and we're going to start structuring it. And then the fourth age of the church is now we're going to make it go. Now that corporation is taking off and going mainstream. And so that's kind of the way to think of the first four ages of the church. Truly it is. And so, and that's kind of what happens. But in this third age, this is kind of where everything starts to get structured. You know, those things had kind of been there, but not formally. And there was, again, there was too many schisms. There was too many different ideas. And all of that starts to think of it as a funneling process. It all starts to get funneled in. Athanasius will be a very prominent figure during this time. This guy is going to be exiled a lot. (laughs) I mean, he's going to be Archbishop of Alexandria. Okay. From like 328 to 373 is when I think he dies. If I remember correctly. Yes, he, that's correct. So, and he dies in 373. Well, during this time, he's exiled like 16 of these years off and on. I mean, it's 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 a roller coaster. But what he would do a lot of times, not every time, but he would retreat to the Desert Fathers. Mm-hmm. And he would fast and pray with these guys. And I sometimes wonder if a lot of what his theology is that he shares with people in his writings and all this stuff that really takes hold in Christianity later on, and becomes a lot of our theological basis. You can go back and read his writings. I think it comes from these desert fathers, him spending that time with them in that seclusion. So in many ways, his exile time was probably more valuable to us than his time actually sitting in the seat of archbishop. Hey man, you talk about, you know, that time of getting away. We do the same thing today. We talk about our alone time with God. Absolutely. And- I know for me personally, 
when I'm struggling with something that, you know, how do we do this? How is this going to work? What should I do next? It's that alone time when the revelation comes, you know, because now you've quieted down, you've eliminated the distractions, and now the Holy Spirit can speak and you can listen, you know? And, you know, so as he's exiled, he's probably like, good, I'm going on, what do they call it? Uh, uh, well, the Sabbatical. Sabbatical, yeah, I'm going on a sabbatical. See you in a couple <laughs> of years, you know. And, and when he comes back, he's more on fire than he was when he left. Exactly. <laughs> and and I can imagine these desert fathers are building into him because they're praying and fasting with him. You yeah. know they are. That's what they do. These guys are, you know, they see. It. I'll tell you what. Go back and read the book, the sayings of the desert fathers. I listened to it on Audible. Mm-hmm. I've listened to a lot of these books that were rejected by the in the Bible. You can learn a lot. You can also, I can also see why some of those early books were not put in the word of God. I see why they're not. It's when you read the Bible and the books that are in the Bible, and then you read the ones that aren't, you can see why that's not there, but you can also still see the value of them and they are valuable. Yeah, They really are. These are writings that we need to read alongside with the Bible. And so, and that's kind of what I do. I'll do comparisons and I'll, I've done that quite a bit. I'll listen to them on Audible. I I love Audible. I listen to that all the time. Listen to books and things, and really trying to to contemplate what that looks like. But these sayings of the Desert Fathers is a big deal, and it is a big deal to the Second and the Third Age of the Church because it's during the later part of the Second Age of the Church that this this group starts, and it's really into the Third Age of the Church that these guys are really established. And it will establish what we think of as monasteries now. And that becomes a huge part of the church for, well, for what, how many years now? 1700 years or yeah, so. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking 17, 1800 years. We're, we're talking a long time. I mean, that has outlasted most countries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. that monastery way of life has outlasted. And, and think about how much theologies come out of that, yeah. that we embrace today. Even whether you're Catholic, Protestant, whatever, you're embracing a lot of that theology because back then it was just one church. We didn't, you know, it wasn't Catholic, it wasn't Protestant, it was just the church. Yeah. So this third age of the church is is through that. So I've got a few notes here. I'll just read and interject with questions and thoughts here, uh, Bob. But um, while we don't have all, I don't have all, we don't have all the exact dates, but we roughly understand that around the time that Athanasius the Great is exiled, we realize that much of that, a lot of that time was with the Desert Fathers. Not all of it. There was other things that went on, but that helped influence him and his theology. And like you said, those times of escape, even Jesus did that. Yep. We see that in his ministry. The whole Constantine being baptized and then he dies that's really when it's it's that's kind of that kickoff point now we're in the third age of the church the edict of milan kind of signifies the moving away from the second age of the church and into the third and then it the trigger is when the roman emperor himself receives christ by being baptized and signifies that right before he dies so and he shows the importance of being baptized into the faith so that that becomes a big deal that's a huge deal. We'll see something very similar in 1517 and in 1537, 38, when 
the 95 thesis is posted by Martin Luther. That is not the end of the fourth age of the church, but what it is, is that signifies that it's coming. And then the actual end is when King Henry VIII establishes the Anglican church. That's when that is the actual trigger moment. And we'll talk more about that when we get, so we see kind of a similar thing here though. So anyway, um, the church begins to take shape and develop into its formal entity. Um, Another one here, here, and and I've got to throw this out there, Bob, and I'm going to let you just run with this after I say it, because this is huge. This is huge even today and relates to today. A lot of people don't know this, but in 363, there was this e- attempt to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That's right. But what happens in 363... And I don't have the exact date, but during that year, there'll be a, a night and an early morning, a bunch of earthquakes accompanied by a ball of lightning will disrupt an attempt to rebuild the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. That was to begin, and that was to begin the next day. Mm, wow. Okay. These forces will destroy much of the material gathered for the work. <laughs> the rebuilding had the backing of the pagan emperor, Julian as one of his lines of opposition to Christianity. See, there was still a lot of turmoil in this early part of the third age of the church. And some of these emperors did not like Christianity. So he was backing the Jewish faith to try to reestablish that by helping them rebuild their temple. Guess what? These earthquakes, this ball of lightning destroys the materials the day before they're going to start the building of it. And then this event will be recounted in numerous contemporary and near contemporary sources, both pagan, uh, pagan Jewish and Christian. Wow. So we know this happened. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that this happened. I'm going to just let you run with that because yeah. I think that is such a huge sign that it was not time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not going to get ahead of God's timeline on it at all, you know? And I mean, what did Jesus say? My time is not yet. Exactly. You know, I mean, it, you know, there is a set time for every season. <laughs> and you know, the yeah, I could just imagine the uh, the trepidation when that happened. When they're like, "Well, let's gather everything back up and go back to it," and they're like, "No, no, no, no." That's what you call an act of God. He's letting his will be known in that instance right there, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's like, mm -mm, that is not happening. It's kind of like, you know, I'm reminded of the story, the end of the Revolutionary War at Yorktown, you know? I mean, Washington was outnumbered. He was winning, but the British were sending the reinforcements in, and all they had to do was land. They were right there on the ships. And as they're coming in, the, the, this huge gale wind came in reverse course, wouldn't let them out, pushed them back out. And uh, and Washington up defeating Cornwallis because he had to surrender because he couldn't get reinforcements. He was done. And that ended the war right there, you know. And, uh, you know, and Washington credited all to God, you know. I mean, trying to escape. Uh, I think it was trying to escape from New York. Uh, British had him surrounded. And... No boats. They use rowboats. I think they had two rowboats. They had to get everybody across over the course of the night. 
And next morning, fog socked in so they could go ahead and escape. He was in the last boat to escape, you know. And he was only like 30 yards offshore when the British troops finally made it to the shore. And they, he was just disappearing into that fog. So they couldn't even shoot at him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, just miracle after miracle because it was God's timing. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, the six, the seven day war, six day war in Israel. You know, I mean, the, the Egyptians and stuff, they're trying to shoot their artillery and, and all this stuff at the Israelis and they couldn't hit it. You know, they, they thought they had point blank aim. And, and as they shoot this round and go off into some Netherland direction, then when their gear was captured, the Israelis turned around, there's point blank accuracy <laughs> going fired against the Egyptians. The angels were out there deflecting all these shells, protecting the Israeli army. You know, and I mean, it's just, you know, when, when God says, no, it's not happening. There's not happening. absolutely zero any human being can do to try and force it to happen. And, uh, you know, if, if you try and force it, usually it doesn't end too well. No. <laughs> I'll, you know, I can, we can, I can give you another historical one is, is during the civil war, there's really two instances and, and I've got several just during the civil war itself, but two big ones. Number one is that, um, the union army had pressed the Confederacy in the Overland campaign, but they needed to put Richmond into a trap. Well, <laughs> General Grant takes one of the largest forces up to that time in the history of the world and crosses the James River on pontoon boats and generally miss, misses this. <laughs> I mean, he could have killed a lot of their right soldiers here. out in the middle of the river yep. crossing these pontoon bridges, and they have no idea it happened until after it was done. Yeah. Amen. So that's one. Yep. Another is that to give you the understanding of the sin of slavery on this country, Abraham Lincoln is going to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. And it's a way to get the South back into the Union. If the And basically, they have till January 1st, 1863, to get back in. But he can't issue it without a victory. Yep. On September 17th, 1862, Exactly 85 years to the day when the U.S. Constitution was signed, which allowed slavery to continue to exist, as well as formulating the three-fifths compromise mm -hmm. and putting that into law at the time, the Battle of Antietam right there in your neck of the woods happened. And it will be the bloodiest, not even day, half a day in American history, because in less than 12 hours, we will have more casualties than in any other battle in one in a half a day ever in the United States history. Yeah. 26,000 plus. And they said the numbers may actually be higher. Yeah. And it's that battle that pushes the, the Confederate forces back to the South and allows him to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. I find that ironic that the bloodiest day in American history happens on the day of the signing of the Constitution, 85 years later. And it also signifies the Emancipation Proclamation being released by Abraham Lincoln yep. that will eventually lead 
to the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments. Yeah. And, and, and what we're talking about, uh, you know, was God's timing. Exactly. <laughs> and it's so true. I mean, and even the Union forces can't get a total handle on winning the war until on January 31st, 1865, they passed the 13th Amendment. And it took a lot of wrangling to get that done, and they barely got it done. Yeah. And from that point forward, the Confederacy just completely disintegrated. Yeah. Amen. And it, Amen. It, they were still holding on. And when that happens, that was it. Yep. And it's kind of finally God said, okay, now you can have it. Now you can Amen. have the victory because you finally did what I wanted you to do a long time ago. Yeah. Amen. You know, and, and remember, uh, Lincoln had already survived an assassination attempt. The, the bullet went through his hat. Yep. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It wasn't time. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, these are snipers. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and, and here's what interesting will happen. We go back to the third age of the church. That temple will not be rebuilt. Nope. It is stopped. Hadn't been rebuilt th- yet. And in 367, in festal letter number 39, Athanasius will list the 27 writings that he considers sacred. All right. And then in 397, they will formally recognize that these 27 writings are the sacred writings that we now call the New Testament. Amen. And the the temple is not allowed to be rebuilt. And right following after that, the New Testament becomes the thing. Yeah. We now understand what writings are sacred and it's what we follow today. Yeah. That is powerful that those two events are really close together. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about what would happen if they'd have rebuilt the temple and the Jewish influence would have come back. Exactly. It wasn't time. The yeah. Jewish influence is going to come back. Yep. We know that. Yeah. It just wasn't time. Right. It was the time of the New Testament. And right in that, I mean, in that same decade, we get what's going to be considered the new writings of the writings of the New Testament, okay. those 27 sacred writings. And Athanasius is going to put those out there in that festal letter. That is a big deal. And so we get um actually in 382. Pope Damascus I and the Council of Rome confirmed those 27 writings that make up the New Testament. The Council of Hippo canonized New Testament in 393, and then the Council of North Africa canonized it in 397, and that really formalized it. In 405, Pope Innocent I will ratify the writings as well. And now what happens is, is these the powers to be that are going to control the theology, that are going to control... Christianity is now has officially become these councils and there's lots of them. You can go through and read about all these councils. There was councils before this, um, but you'll get a lot of that. I mean, we get, you know, we get things like um, the apostles creed, you know, and the Nicene creed, all that, and then a council of Nicene. You had that back in, I think it was 323. You can go back and look, but we'll see that. And what's interesting is in 410, Rome will fall to the Visigoths, the Roman empire, starts to die and around most scholars most scholars say between 476 and 480 it had completely disintegrated and then what will end this third age of the church and there's going to be a more political ring and more councils stuff there's going to be more of these not only popes but these religious leaders i guess is the way to, to think of it 
and they're structuring that theology that will formalize the institution of the church. And then it needs one last thing to become the powerhouse. It needs, it, it needs a central base. It needs a central power and an army to help unify it. And they get that in the Byzantines and the Byzantines take, they start the siege of Rome and they retake Rome. They take Rome in 538. The siege starts in 537, about a year later in 538. Matter of fact, it's March 537. And then in March 538, they take it. The Byzantine uh, forces, their army, um, they force the Vitages to, and, and I apologize if I butcher these names, <laughs> some of these names, but they basically, the Byzantine, <laughs> exactly. The Byzantine, the Byzantines take Rome and now you have the power of the Holy Roman church because they're right there with them. Mm-hmm. And now they're in the center of Rome. I mean, the Vatican city is still there today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the power of it. And this happens in 538. So this now marks the start of the rule of the Roman church. And that is the event that kicks off the next stage of the church. So mm-hmm. think about it. 337, the baptism of Constantine. And then he dies. We now have a Roman emperor that's been baptized in Christianity. That is the, yeah. that is the final trigger to flip the church. And, and go over the importance of that because they consider the Roman emperor god exactly and what he's doing it's just like admitted himself it's almost like what pharaoh would not do Mm -hmm. which is why god punished him he would not admit that god was god Mm -hmm. and he he made the egyptians believe he was god but a guy that dies i mean come on yeah but he didn't just acknowledge that the jewish god was god he acknowledged jesus christ who the jews killed was God. God. Exactly. <laughs> and now Constantine is surrendering to that. Yeah. And that is the key moment. That is the trigger. It starts with the Edict of Milan, and there's like a 20-year period of that last hanging on of the second age of the church, and then the trigger event is him. And that happens right around three. That's in 337. And then this whole thing in 537, when they see Rome, that is the flipping to the fourth age of the church, because now the Holy Roman church will become the, the church. It'll become an empire in itself. And by the way, this is going to last a thousand years. Mm. What's funny is, is when we, there's going to be, there's going to be a couple of, there's going to really be two or three trigger events when we talk on our next episode and that fourth age of the church. And you guys are going to love this. Because this fourth age of the church is the most fun, is one of the most fun to talk about, to be honest with you. This fourth age, there's going to be a couple of trigger events that really ignite and and kind of kind of cools that the power of that church. And as it cools it, it's going to lead to some other events that'll eventually flip it to the fifth age of the church. Mm. And and the Holy Roman Church will become a dead church as a result. Yeah. Yeah. They really will. And, and even the Protestant churches that'll come out of that at first are kind of dead churches as well. That's why the fifth age of the church is called the dead age of the church, mm. because it really kind of was. It was it was more of about a restructuring than it was about a movement. It was just a restructuring of the institution of the church that had really become corrupt, mm. extremely corrupt. And so the fourth age of the church, some people call it the tyrannical church. 
because in some ways it is. I mean, we're going to get things like the Crusades and all this stuff. It's not pretty. It's not a pretty picture. Yeah. And there, there are some really good things that come out of this age of the church, but there's some really bad things too. Amen. And we know that. I mean, you know, hey, I'm not, and even Jesus, you know, people can sit here and say, well, well, that makes Christianity bad and all this. I'm going to make an argument against that. Jesus himself, if you read the books of Revelation chapters two and three, he admonishes five ages of the church, admonishes them. He does not, he doesn't praise them. Right. He praises certain people that do certain things in those ages, but the basic age of those churches are not pretty. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason is it's the same thing with every other man-made religion out there. That's not even attached to Christianity. Anytime it becomes man-made, it becomes about man and it becomes idolatry. And when it becomes that, it becomes not of God. And it, and it ends up ensuing in chaos, violence, just like in the days of Noah. Amen. Yeah, that is so true. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Mm. We are never to worship the church. We are only to worship God. Yeah. Period. There is nothing else. There is no one else. The church Jesus Christ is the body of Christ. That's exactly. The church. You know, the body. Yes. Uh, and there's the body's made up of different members. You know, you can't have one denomination, we'll call it. Say we are the church. No, you're not. No. You know, no. Those have received Christ. That's the church. Yeah. Period. Amen. There's. I mean, I don't care what denomination you are. None of that matters. I mean, at the end of the day, there's not going to be denominational signs in heaven. Nope. All right. Well, this group over here and this. That's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if there be is, individually. If there is, it'll be one of those like, okay, all you believers this way. The rest of you go that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, amen. Exactly. I mean, that's not, yeah, it's not going to be this denominational thing or this group thing, all that stuff. No, there's only, t- yep. there's only two groups, the yep. believers and non-believers. There's those that are in the, listed in the book of life. And that's what the Bible says. And there's those that are not Yeah. period. Amen. You know, and sometimes I get into, little discussions i'll call it with some pastors you know like hey you know we're promoting this event or whatever it is well where's it gonna be held at but i don't i don't i don't go to that church i don't i don't believe in what they believe in and stuff said are you a christian well of course well so are they yeah but they got that you know look one as you said there's no denominations in heaven but two we are a body made up of different parts as Jesus said, you know, if you're the nose, then, you know, the way I put it in modern vernacular is the church is the body. Well, the church, if you're building the church, you got the people that come out and prepare the ground for the foundation, the excavators and all that. You don't want them doing the electrical wiring. No, you want them they're not electricians. They're specialists in is prepare that foundation, right? Exactly. Then you got the framers. You don't want them doing the plumbing. You want them to frame the building, right? Then you got the plumbers. You don't want them doing electrical wiring. You don't want the electrical wiring doing the plumbing, right? And then you got the roofers. Uh, You don't want the roofers doing the drywall, you know? So it takes all these different groups to make the church. And when, you know, I had our church and all, I told them, if if something in our church isn't sitting right with you, that's all right. Come tell me. 
because if you, you know, after talking with you, I know a lot of different pastors, a lot of different churches. I can send you to one that is, you know, you may be a plumber attending an electrician church and they're talking in every service about electrical stuff, ohms and amps and all this stuff. And you're like, I have no clue what they're talking about. I know roofing nails and I know shingles, but I don't know what they're talking about here. Well, if you go to a roofer's church, it's kind of like, oh man, this is like the best church ever because they're talking my language, right? Yep. And that's the whole thing. You have to find where you're supposed to go. You can't say one church is the answer. No, everything because it's no, no, it is not. No, it's like there's not one pastor that's the answer to every theological question. Exactly. And and I I've had to tell people I've ministered to before. I'm not your dolly god. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching you how to dial into God. Amen. Amen. It's not my job to do that. I'm not saying the Lord hasn't put something on my heart for certain specific people at times, Mm -hmm. but He chooses when to reveal that. Yeah, I can't reveal that. That's not. I'm not the head. There's only one head. That's Jesus That's Christ. That's it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church. That's right. That's, the church is not the head. Amen. It is the church is to glorify God. It is the it is to be the beacon of light for the glory of God. Yep. But we are not to be glorified. Amen. And we're not worthy to be glorified. I mean, we need to think of ourselves a little more sober judgment than that. Yep. That's that's why I'm with you. That's and, and you know. If, and, and if anyone has a question about that. Go stand naked in front of a mirror. Exactly. <laughs> I guarantee you, you're not looking at a perfect body right now. No, there's no. And and even if you are, I promise you, in 20 years, it ain't going to look that way. Yeah. In 30 okay. years, eventually, it's going to get old and decrepit. I mean, that's yep, just that's it. Our flesh Amen. falls apart, period. Amen. I don't care who you are. I mean, yeah, that's been good. Now, tell us about your book, God Centered Concept Journal, Making God's Words My Ways. Just tell us about this book again. You bet. Well, it's basic. It's just a. It's a good basic journal to help you follow along. Not only my podcast series, but for you to dive in and to use that as is a help to your prayer time. So we're right now we're in the midst of writing uh, several different publications, and those will be coming out. My goal is to have one of them come out at the end of this year, and it's actually going to be on the seven ages of the church. I've got a lot Amen. of material. Just scattered stuff all over the place. I feel like a, I'm a researcher, and sometimes I'm a little too honest about my process, but <laughs> that's where I'm at. I mean, so we've got it all scattered. It needs to be put into a collection, and then that way we can read. It's not going to be horrifically long. I don't think people read long books anymore anyway. Chapters are going to be as short as possible. Um, what my goal is is to have it where it's audible where people can listen to it. If they want to read it on the book, that's great. It'll be there. But then also they can listen to it in an audible way. So mm-hmm. I'm even, I probably will even be the one that narrates it Amen. when we do the audible version of this. So right now, um, the other thing is, is I'm praying about something that the Lord has been putting on my heart and how far he wants us to go. But I may have some new information and some new news here in the next couple of weeks. Amen. Amen. Before we close, share again about your podcast, God Center Concept. You bet. God Center Concept is all about helping you to connect by understanding how to develop the mindset and attitude to connect to God at a deeper level. And then how we, how we, how that sets the tone for us to go and make disciples of other people. It doesn't matter where that's at. You can be in your own town. You can be making disciples across the oceans. 
into other land into other continents. It could be you're going to another state. It doesn't matter. We got to have the right understanding of how we deeply connect to God. The deeper we can connect, the more he can use us. He wants us to be complete, total open vessels for him to use. And that's, you know, that's a, sometimes a hard concept for people to grasp, but that is what he asks us to do. And if you read our found, you, you read the last stage of the church, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, we're going to talk. And when we get to that, and, and then my ep- some of my episodes already that I've already put out in the uh, God Center Concept series, you can listen to that process that Jesus layers out. And the very last part of that process is that we are basically like survivors. We are to outlast. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> we're, Amen. We're, we're outlasting until our we go home to be at the Lord and we yeah. get our eternal reward for that. But what we did Jesus sit on the say? throne with him. He who endures to the end will be saved. be saved. Amen, Amen to that. Amen. And so I call that the that's that's the survival mentality is that we're gonna outplay, outlast, outwit Amen. <laughs> the enemy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Folks, oh, man, this has been good. You know, there's no doubt that we're not living in the last of the last days. I mean, you know, Christian scholars call it the end times. Hallelujah. And we're working our way through each of these church ages in order to give you a more thorough understanding of how all of this fits together with what we're witnessing right now around us and on their evening news early every night. Okay. So don't be scared about it. We should be excited about it. We need to thank God every day that our eyes are seeing these things and hearing these things because Jesus said prophets of old desire to see these things and hear these things, but they couldn't. But God had it planned that you were born in this day and in this time right now to endure through these things. You know, well, I wish I'd been born back in 1800s. I think life would have been a lot simpler back then. You wouldn't have survived back there. You weren't designed by God to be back there. Nope. Just like, you know, you couldn't take one of the, you know, there was a TV show when I was young. This was, whoo, man, this was, I was like single digit age, right? So this is 50 some years ago, easy. And uh, it was about some uh, cavemen that somehow got transported to the modern day America. And these cavemen were trying to fit in, and it just wasn't working out, right? Because they were designed to be born back then. You know, you can't, you could not survive back in the old west, and just like a cowboy couldn't survive today, if you brought him from the old west to today, God has it planned for each person to have a purpose in the church age and in the time frame and the lifetime that you have been given on this earth. You need to discover that purpose. You need to find out what your purpose is and live like every day Jesus is coming back because he is coming back soon. Amen. Folks, man, Scott, this has been good. I do appreciate your time and and sharing all this information with us. You bet. And Bob, it's been great to be on the show. And hey, I look forward to the fourth age of the church. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably going to, the fourth age of the church by itself is probably going to be two different episodes. I was just thinking that, that long. when you were telling me about it. I was like, yeah, this sounds like it's going to be two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is almost two episodes, so it may be three by the time you and I get done with it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, folks, get in touch with Scott. Drop down the show notes. Click the links right there. Order his book, God's Center Concept, Making God's Word My Ways. 
and subscribe to the podcast. His podcast is awesome. He's got a lot of great information on there. That link's down below in the show notes as well. I guess God has been good, folks. That's all the time we have for today. For Scott Wright and myself, passing by reminding you to be blessed in all that you do. You have been listening to Revelation Warning with Pastor Robert Thibodeau and his guest expert on Bible prophecy as it relates to current events. This podcast is not designed to invoke fear, but concern. Help us to make everyone aware that the soon return of Jesus is close at hand by clicking the like, subscribe, and then share buttons below. Share this episode with your loved ones, friends, and coworkers. For more information on our ministry, please visit podcasterforchrist.com and be sure to come back next week for another episode of Revelation Warning.